When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions about names and titles for widows and divorcees, breast-pumping rooms being used by non-moms, an inclusive bachelor party, and responding to assumptions that you're pregnant when you're not. (laughs) Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on hospital visits. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Good morning. Good morning. Or maybe it's good evening for when our listeners are listening. I don't know. It might be. It, speaking of good timing. Good day to you, friends. Good day to you, friends. <laughs> I want to start out today's show with just the smallest hint of a whiff of an apology. Why? Because I failed yesterday to get our show up in the middle of the afternoon <laughs> when I usually like to get our show posted. And I'm going to blame a total eclipse of the sun. <laughs> I guess you can do that given that yesterday there was a solar eclipse. It really is a terrible excuse. but um, You know and, it burns your eyes, not your memory, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. just teasing you. I'm teasing you. No, we had both talked about it, and then somehow it didn't happen. I had even planned ahead. I had got the show loaded early. All that was left to do was hit the make public button, <laughs> and we had a late staff meeting. We ended up going directly outside and looking at websites and tracking solar eclipses, and the next thing I knew, I was driving home, and my cousin Lizzie Post was calling me saying, did we post the show? And I was saying, no. So anyway, mea culpa, my apologies, because usually that is my duty <laughs> to be sure that, that that happens in a timely manner in the middle of the afternoon on Monday. And I know we like to get it ahead of that afternoon commute. Well, your backup system wasn't really su- supplying support either. So I apologize for that. But you were. That reminder was was uh, timely and appropriate. I really Four appreciated it. Four o'clock in the it. afternoon. Hey, I think we forgot to do our jobs. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm going to use another little excuse. I'm going to say that um, I was also delighted to be driving home because I'm driving home in my new electric car. Please, will you tell everyone how much you're loving it? Because we did a segment on electric vehicles a while ago, and now you've kind of had one for like a month. So I want to know, like, what are you learning now that you're in the trenches of this area of etiquette? What I'm learning is I love it. And I didn't (laughs) expect to be loving it quite as much. Pooja did the work on this. She is a a board member for 350 Vermont, a group that organizes around issues of climate awareness and climate change. And she did a lot of work at looking at making us a solar household and getting an electric vehicle. And we finally decided to go that route. And because I have the longer commute, I'm the one who ends up driving the electric car the most. And 
it has been one of the most pleasant surprises of the summer for me. I really, really do enjoy <laughs> it. And we did do that segment on electric cars. I want to return yeah. to it at some point because I, I feel like I'm understanding the culture well, was, around this new I'm technology saying, like, a little better than how I is, have did Have you before. had to fill up – have you had to charge up your car? Like or do you have a charger at home? How does it work? We're charging at home okay. most of the time. But I'm, I'm, I'm starting to notice the chargers everywhere as I'm driving around. All of a sudden my, my eyes are, are seeing that part of the world. Are you talking with other EV owners about like their favorite charge up stations or things that they notice about charging up? I am turning into a real geek when it comes to kilowatt hours and where power comes from and how solar panels, all of it. Well, that's the science side of it. But what about the social side of it? Like, have have any of your friends who have EV cars or who you're like so stoked to now be in this club with? Are you like, are they saying things like, oh, you got to watch out for like this thing because your friends who drive other cars won't realize it? What did Chris say? Yes. Our producer for the show gave me some tips about batteries getting colder when the winter comes, not holding charges as long. We did the installation of the charger at our home in a place where we could offer guests to Ah! use it. Came into play the very first weekend we had it installed when Pooja's family visited. Oh, no way. Who else had an EV car? um, One of her uncles was coming in a Tesla and had stopped en route and was delayed, was doing a charge, and we were able to say, no, 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 give them a call. Tell them we've got a, a charging station. They should not worry and just come. That's so great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> anyway, it's very so cool. little commercial for the electric car at the start of the show. I am absolutely loving it and looking forward to that postscript at some point in the future. More EV etiquette to come. How about our AE etiquette? Should we get to little awesome etiquette listener questions? Let's do it. All right. Awesome Etiquette is so pleased to be answering your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. 
Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question today is titled, Dear Mrs. And I love the way this email actually begins. I know, right? It starts, Dear Emily, parentheses Lizzie, (laughs) I've been reading your wedding etiquette book and I can't find the answer on how to address an invitation to a widow, in our case, a grandmother. How would you address a divorced woman? Thank you for your help, Mary. This is traditional etiquette. This is, we're going old school on this. I love it. Yeah, we're talking in this case about a grandmother, so we are going to really think traditionally about our etiquette because one of the funniest splits I I can think of is that Emily grew up in an era where the word Ms. didn't Mm -hmm. exist. Not only that, she got divorced in an era where the word Ms. didn't exist. So when she divorced, she was actually Mrs. Price Post for quite a while, and that was how she did her name. She used her maiden name and then her married name. We have a very clear example of this in our personal family history. Yes, absolutely. But nowadays, women do have the word Ms. to use should they want to. They also do not always have to take their husband's first name. So a woman could easily be Mrs. Courtney Wells or Ms. Courtney Wells or Mrs. Thomas Wells. Any of those would be appropriate. I personally, in talking to women, have found they split themselves 50-50. Some would really like to use their husband's name as just his last name. Others would like to keep their entire name and still others would like to use their husband's full name attached to their name. So it's it's really however you would like to do it. And this now is the advice. You should call grandma and ask her how she prefers to use her name. That's it is that you call and you ask, you find out, you don't assume. Um, So much of our etiquette today is based on trying not to assume and trying to be aware of the options that might be out there. And rather than be paralyzed by those options or get so scared that you're going to do something wrong, call and ask how to do it right. If there's someone in the family who might already know the answer to this question, it's perfectly okay to ask that person how someone likes to be addressed. If there's someone in that generation between you and grandma, (laughs) grandma, there's nothing inappropriate about saying, how does grandma like to be addressed? I I plan to write her a letter and want to be sure I do it the way she would like. Now, it does get a little complicated if someone gets remarried. (laughs) Um, More choices. But there are more choices. Um, And if a woman who used her husband's name gets remarried, she has the choice of using her previous husband's name as her middle name. So let's say that she remarries a man named Mr. James Lastly. Uh, She could be either Mrs. Wells Lastly, her first husband's last name and her second husband's last name. Um, Many women who were married for years or have children choose to do this so that the name of their first family stays connected to them. Otherwise, a woman may choose to simply use her own name. She might start as Mrs. Courtney Smith, and then now she might be Mrs. Courtney Smith lastly and get rid of the wells entirely. So, again, it's really up to the woman to choose. Um, It's a personal decision. It can be made for all sorts of reasons. And all those reasons, as we learned from a couple weeks ago, should be respected and honored. And the best way to find them out is to ask the person directly. Now, when it comes to divorce, um, after a divorce, a woman does not continue to use her husband's name. So Mrs. Thomas Wells would now traditionally, again, these are formal traditional standards, would go by 
Mrs. or Ms. Courtney Wells. Um, most divorcees drop the Mrs. and just use Ms. instead. So um little question about that one. Yeah, please. The 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 use of the last name continues, but it's the no, first yes. name that someone usually leaves at that point. You are absolutely correct. After a divorce uh, this would be for a divorced woman who traditionally used her husband's first and last name to be referenced to, she drops using his first name. She can continue using his last name just like Emily posted, but she would be divorced. So she could go by either Mrs. or Ms. Courtney Wells. Again, lots of options. Yeah. And most divorcees choose to drop the Mrs. and just use Ms. Um, And alternatively, Ms. Courtney Smith could go right back to being Ms. Courtney Smith. There's nothing wrong with that either. So, again, there are options. And your best bet is to call this person and ask how they prefer to see their name written now. I love the question. I love a chance to take a look at formal titles because they aren't used so, so often today, but they do still come into play and people are curious about it. So thank you for the question. And I hope we've brought just a little bit of clarity among all of those options. Our second question is titled Perturbed Pumper. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your podcast. Your show is such a nice refresher on how adult interactions are supposed to work. I work for a large company, which has thankfully provided a handful of designated rooms for nursing mothers to use for pumping. These rooms can be booked like conference rooms and are well appointed with an armchair, a coffee table, a mini fridge, a sink, and a mirror. Nice. These rooms are situated off of the women's restrooms with their own locking doors and a sign where one can indicate when they are in use. It's not uncommon for someone to be in the room when my scheduled time comes up. If it's another mother running a few minutes behind schedule, that doesn't bother me. It happens to us all. But several times now, the occupant is not a fellow pumper, but a primper who has taken the liberty of using the private space to refresh their hair or makeup or even to drink their coffee in peace. On occasion, the room isn't occupied by a person at all, but by someone's belongings, such as an errant laptop whose owner is in a nearby restroom stall. My question is this. When this happens, these women are usually quick to clear out, though only some are apologetic. Once I knock or happen upon them, they often don't lock the door. But I find myself irked by the intrusion into this space that's supposed to be reserved for nursing mothers. One, is this response reasonable? And two, should I say something in the moment or perhaps bring it up to HR or facilities instead? How would you recommend handling this situation? Thanks so much, Perturbed Pumper. It's a great question. And thank you for your question, Perturbed Pumper. It is a great question. So I, I consulted my resident expert on breastfeeding, and I asked you Pooja. You have one of those. <laughs> Her first thought was that um, she understood this feeling of being irked. Yeah. That it is a, uh, enough to manage the whole process of pumping, particularly when you're trying to coordinate it around work, that she could really sympathize with feeling like that's what this space is intended for and that it would be a natural reaction to think to yourself, I, I want that respected. Well, you just brought up what what perturbed me about it, which is what this space is intended for. This space was created for mothers who need a place to express milk and to breast pump. And I think that's really important to key in here that these aren't extra restrooms. 
These aren't extra primping stations. They're not quiet rooms. Like, for instance, here at VPR, there are quiet rooms you can go work in or, you know, take your break in or something like that. And it's it's not that case. Intention is actually key here. So I thought the answer to question one is absolutely it's reasonable. And yes, I had a follow up thought, though, which is that while that's a, a reasonable emotional reaction to have, that how you manage and handle that yeah. emotional reaction is really where the heart of our advice is going to be centered. Absolutely. That you don't want to live in that space of feeling irritated. You want to take some responsibility for how you respond so that you're not perpetually aggrieved. And you do have options here. There are a couple of things that you can do. And one is I would definitely bring this up. Yes. And I would bring it up with someone who has the authority to address it as a policy. Sometimes we talk about the broccoli on the tooth rule, that you would talk to a coworker about a personal hygiene issue, a grooming issue, something that was about the interpersonal dynamics in the office. I think this is a little different than that. This is a just bad behavior. You, you might be able to bring someone's attention to it in a way that would cause it to stop. But if it's it's a culture that's developing, if there's a an approach to the way this room is being used that you're seeing multiple people adopting, I think there are people within the business who are well-placed to address that. Absolutely. It was my first go-to thought was let's go to someone who helped set this up or who is supposed to be coordinating this so that we can get the kind of help that we need. I really liked that you mentioned that it's a scheduled space. Yeah. So, I mean, that right off the bat provides a whole framework or a language for talking about it. Um, I don't think you ever need to worry about knocking or interrupting, particularly if it's scheduled time. I think that take that irritation, acknowledge it, put it aside, knock, take the space. Um, Well, as Perturbed mentions, she says, you know, when it's another mother, I'm not worried about that. But when it's just, I don't know if this person is coming back for their laptop or why are you doing your hair in here? That's that moment where, yes, you you are right to feel aggrieved, but Dan's saying how you, you manage that grievance is really important. And I would be really careful about putting anyone down, being rude, being judgy, saying you're not supposed to be in here. I think what you really want is to try to get HR to be dealing with this rather than you having to personally deal with it. And my first suggestion is this is the place where an announcement email is great because you don't need to pinpoint one particular person. It's happening with a number of the other women in this office. And I think it would be really wise to have something that goes out as a first step that's kind of like a blanket statement of a reminder. Please remember these rooms are only for nursing mothers. This isn't the place to take your coffee break or a quick cat nap. This isn't the place to primp. This is really only for this purpose. And that's step one. Bringing the particular problems to the person at HR that you talk to or the manager or supervisor that you talk to is going to help them craft that email well. So mentioning that people leave their stuff behind, that you're noticing people taking coffee breaks there so they can address a couple of different behaviors so that people don't feel singled out or targeted. Um, I definitely notice that people leaving things behind in the room being one of the things that really indicate if people are using these spaces in ways that are different than what they're intended for. When you bring this up with that person in HR or the manager or the supervisor, also having some solutions. So have that idea for the email that goes out addressing the particular problems would be step one. But you also might suggest providing keys to people that would use the room. I think it's probably nice. It's probably convenient that it is an open space. But if that's being abused or taken advantage of, 
you might say that keys get handed out to people who've scheduled time. Yeah. And I know that there can be backlash to this where people then are like, well, we're doing so much. There's no favors for anybody else. Um, This pumping at work is a real issue for moms who are breastfeeding. And if you're not in that particular position or you've never been in that particular position, I would try not to feel aggrieved and look at it as favoritism to the women who are breast pumping. I would instead say, wow, this is a real need. And isn't it great that I have a supportive company that meets it? I couldn't agree more. Perturbed, we hope that that gives you um, at least a, a starting point to go after. We're hoping that you and HR are going to be able to come up with a plan that will really make sure these rooms are available and ready for the moms who need to use them. Yeah, if you don't understand a rule, find out why the rule is made. If you really know why, then it will probably make sense. Our next question is called, Dude, join us. (laughs) Can I invite a friend to my bachelor party if I don't invite them to the wedding? Since moving to Los Angeles and getting engaged, I've recently reconnected on Facebook with an old college friend who lives in San Diego. He's currently close, active friends with two of my groomsmen who are flying in from out of state. In addition to finally getting to see him in person, I'd love to give our friends a chance to catch up in person as well. My bachelor party seems to be the perfect place to do this. Unfortunately, this online reunion was after my fiancé and I finalized our invite list. Please help me to have my wedding cake and eat it too. This is dicey territory, but I just want to be really encouraging and say it could be so great. I know. This is one of those places where you... There is an etiquette that applies and yet you want to figure out a way to make it work. I feel like this is that. Yeah, exactly. Like this is that thing where you're like, no, no, no. He has such good intentions. This should be easy. You know what I mean? The diciness comes in. You need to know your friend well and you need to know whether he is the type of person who would really be stoked and totally understanding about this Or he might be the kind of person who would say, thank you so much, but I'm a traditional guy and I just I don't want to like confuse anything like go have your bachelor party with your groomsmen. Don't worry about it. Like we'll hang out after. You just don't know where his formality, tradition and personal comfort areas are. And so you want to be a little careful. But I want to say and Dan, back me up here. Please back me up here that you should be able to craft and ask that is explaining of the situation, but still inviting and welcoming and encouraging, correct? I'm okay with this. So h- okay. help us out. Get us to a sample script. How would how would that ask sound? Okay. So let's try. Jeff, I'm so glad that we're in touch again. My fiance and I had to finalize our guest list a while back. So I apologize that I am not able to invite you to the wedding. But if you'd be up for it, It would be so awesome to have you at the bachelor party next month. Chris and Ryan are going to be there, too, and I would love it if you would consider coming. It would be so great to have you there and to have kind of the gang back together, have everybody hanging out. Does that, like, I don't know. What do you think about the part where we said... I'm not able to invite you to the wedding. Do you, should you cut that out or should you keep that no, in? No, I think you need clear? it. And I really? think you need to start off with that. Because oh, there really? is, yeah, because okay. there's this etiquette rule that you're breaking. Okay. <laughs> you're inviting someone to pre-parties and not inviting them to the wedding. Right. And I think that a, a, an acknowledgement of that has to be part of the good ask. You don't okay. dwell in that space. You you acknowledge it. I feel so much better about my sample script, thanks to my cousin. <laughs> okay. So, I've got another place where you might go with a, a, a tweaking of the etiquette here. Do it. Do it. Do it. Would you talk to the fiancé at all 
and say, is there any way we could get this person included? Oh. One solution is you ask the person and explain that it's really impossible or too difficult to invite them to the wedding. Should you make an effort to get them invited to the wedding? And it seems like you would have to talk to your fiance, about your fiance, and maybe there are other hosts for this wedding. Also, it might not be possible. That yeah. might just be a, an absolute hard line. I like line. that idea, though. Good idea. It's the other place where you might find a little latitude, and th- there might be some inconvenience there. There, the etiquette imposition is on your fiance and any other family they're involved in the planning, not on the friend, but. It might be another way to approach the situation. So there you have it. Consider your friend. Think about what you really know about his personality as much as you can. And then you can always offer a very open and clear invitation. Make it encouraging. Really make him feel like, you know, you would really love to have him at that bachelor party. Or talk to your fiance. See if there's any way that you can invite him to the wedding. Because it would be really great to have him for everything. If it's not possible, Go back to to that that sample script that we just talked about. And be ready for him to say, no, that's quite all right. Have a great time. Yes. Or he says yes, and you all have a great time. Either way, have a great time. Thanks for the question. Now, where'd that extra man come from? You better make sure you haven't got too many on the list already. Mother said we only have room for 14. Well, it's my party, and I'll ask whoever I want. Our next question is titled, Not Pregnant and Not Amused. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for your show. I find it helps me to navigate social and work situations more easily. My question is regarding how to reply when someone wrongly assumes that you're pregnant and comments on it in public. I work at a nonprofit organization and I help manage volunteers. I'm a fairly slender person and I'm surprised that anyone could mistake me for being pregnant. A few weeks ago, a volunteer, an older lady, sidled up beside me and looked at my belly and said, What's this? What's going on here, lady? Thinking she was about to say that I had something on my dress or something equally innocuous, I said, what? She reached out and patted my belly, horrors, and said, are you? I finally realized what she was implying, and I was horrified. This happened in front of several other volunteers and staff members. My reply was, oh no, just chubby, I guess. I guess I won't wear this dress again. I was so embarrassed and made an excuse to leave the immediate area. I feel this woman's comments were rude on two fronts. Not only did she make me feel embarrassed about my body, but if I had actually been pregnant but hadn't yet disclosed it to anyone at work, that could have been very awkward as well. This situation is complicated by the fact that this woman is a volunteer, so I feel I'm obligated to be even more polite to her than I would to a stranger who commits a similar etiquette offense. Lizzie and Dan, what would you advise in this situation? Is there anything I could have said that, while still being polite, might serve to discourage this woman from behaving this way in the future? I thought that perhaps she'd apologize later. I see her every week. But she never mentioned it again. Sincerely, not pregnant and not amused. This is such a classic. It really is. It's also a classic that stinks. I just want to say that this is such an awful etiquette situation because you have someone who looks at you and thinks, oh, my gosh, she might be pregnant. I'm so excited for this person I see each week. And, oh, it's maybe it's a secret. I could be in on this. I'm going to guess early. And they're not thinking at all about the other person who we don't know if this person's in a relationship. We don't know if they want children. We don't know anything. And you you create this situation that is so – when you're not pregnant and someone asks you if you are, it's so out of left field. 
It is rare to have composure. It's rare to want to make the other person feel good. It's rare to do all of these things that like you would normally have in your etiquette brain because you're caught so off guard. I actually think that Not Pregnant and Amused didn't have such a bad response. I personally know that when I think of things like that, it when I say something like, no, I guess I just look chubby or I don't I guess I shouldn't wear this dress again. Like it's meant as an indicator of, wow, I must not look great if you think I'm pregnant. And it's so uh, it's so not great because the other person was thinking, oh, I'm so excited to ask. And you're thinking that was the rudest thing. Like, I can't believe you would ask me that. But, Dan, when you and I were brainstorming about this question, you said something about this exact line that I thought was really awesome. And it's a way to turn this line from being like a a meh check. And I don't know if not pregnant and not amused said it that way or not. I just don't know what tone she used when she said it. But you said you could turn that particular line into almost like a positive or a permissive thing. I think this is such an etiquette classic because it is, as you point out, Often unintentional. Yeah. Usually you would assume it's an unintentional mistake and it's really offensive. Yeah. And I think that, that the instinct could be to reply to rudeness with – A little bit of me. You might try to stick back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it might also just catch you so off guard that right. you find yourself at, at a loss or sort of incapable of helping that other person navigate what is now a very difficult and awkward moment. But I love this because you took her exact line and made it – but you might and, – and my instinct is here that the person asking this question, that our, our listener may have found a place where she was trying to in some ways help this other person get through that awkward moment. Oh, no. I must be looking a little chubby. I won't wear this dress again with a little humor. You, you sort of take Lightness. that awkwardness or embarrassment on yourself a yeah. little bit and I hear her concern that maybe it was her escape that happened soon afterwards that might have communicated how awkward and difficult that moment really was or how rude the behavior of this other person was. I think that our listener is taking a lot on herself in this situation. I don't think you need to to feel bad about what you communicated. My guess is that you actually navigated the situation pretty well or as, as well as could be. This mistake also happens when someone's not drinking. This is not an uncommon etiquette mistake. People will notice that someone's not drinking and that inquire. Took me a minute. I was like, wait, just when you're not drinking, do people just ask you if you're pregnant? <laughs> like, sorry, it took me a minute to get there with you. Okay. And yes. When, yes. when, when no, we're talking right. about alcohol you're and right. it's <laughs> this mistake happens enough that it's one of the examples I use when I talk about bad conversation skills, <laughs> that you don't ask questions about people's family, health or finances unless they've really opened the door and invited that conversation. And this is definitely a very personal question about yeah. someone's health and family <laughs> and absolutely how you handle it i do think requires a little tact and a little art i think that if you want to have absolutely nothing misconstrued if you want to give no line that leaves question or that needs tone to be specific in order for it to be received well i think the the best way to answer this question is to just say no are you you just say no and that's it no and you can move on to other conversation. You don't have to say anything else. In fact, not saying anything else will probably in the other person will probably be so kind of like, oh, no, I was wrong about that. That's when they will most likely have the chance to say, I'm so sorry. It might not happen in the moment, but I think that by just simply saying no and giving nothing else, 
you actually kind of invite the chance for an apology right then and there. But I also think that you see this woman every week, you say. And so I think that it wouldn't be hard to approach her and say something like, Vanessa, I'm sorry if my comment yesterday came off as flip and with a quick exit to boot. But I will admit that when you asked me if I was pregnant in front of other people, I was surprised by the question and it made me uncomfortable. And you can leave it at that. You don't have to manage other people's emotions all the time. And it's okay to just simply say, I struggled with this. I had a hard time and I apologize if my reaction was flip. I don't know that this will incite an apology from Vanessa. I don't, or in this example, <laughs> we just named her Vanessa. But I do think that it'll at least let you take responsibility for the part that you're worried about in this. And it lets Vanessa know that this question not only came as a surprise, but made you uncomfortable. And that's the part where you might help her in the future to not ask other people. But what I wouldn't do is say you should be really careful about asking people about that. This isn't a time to teach a lesson. It's just a time to show your reaction and your experience in it. And you can often let things just be that. And hopefully the person will walk away with what they need to, to do right in the next situation. Oftentimes, good etiquette requires of us that we assume the best of the people around us. And I think one of the things you might assume here, taking people's best natures into into account, yeah. is that this person is just mortified and is too embarrassed to bring it up. And you could also say to yourself, I'm going to let it be. And you might say she doesn't need me to bring it up. And frankly, I don't really want to relive that awkward moment with her again. And I feel your um, – your sense of obligation a little bit to sure. maintaining a good relationship with a volunteer. Sometimes that's about taking the hit, assuming that they have learned their lesson and letting well, it go. And then in letting it go, you have to move forward. So have a normal conversation with this person. You know, th make sure that you interact in the way that you would have before this happened or even just, you know, the friendly hellos, be the good volunteer coordinator that you are. And that will show her that you've moved on and that even though this wasn't a great experience for you and the interaction wasn't a great interaction, you can move forward from it. Not pregnant and not amused. I want to finish off by saying we're not amused either, but we think you handled this well and hope this helps moving forward. Yes, you see good manners wherever there are people who respect each other and want to get along with others. Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today's piece of feedback begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, I've been listening weekly from the very beginning. AE helped with a question on the Mix Dan episode. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I've been listening from the very beginning, and this is the first time I've been shocked at a response. During your discussion of the mother-in-law using the wrong name for her daughter-in-law, I had John Proctor's line from Arthur Miller's The Crucible in my head, because it is my name, because I cannot have another in my life fairly assuming that the mother-in-law now knows the correct name after her son's engagement wedding and specifically being informed, intentionally misaddressing her daughter-in-law strikes me as a personal affront. 
I understand the mother-in-law's potential disappointment, but a chosen name is an identity, and respecting another's identity and autonomy is a universal obligation, regardless of seniority or position of honor. This is why I was so surprised you suggested this might not be a battle worth fighting. Of course, the daughter-in-law shouldn't be rude, but I would have loved to hear some sample scripts to help her stand up for herself, despite the tricky relationship. There is one other concern. This faux pas seems to come from a bit of a sexist viewpoint. An analogy might be a business contact calling the daughter-in-law by her first name against her wishes while using surnames for male colleagues. My female perspective is certainly colored by working in a large male-dominated office where I'm heavily outnumbered, but it's also taught me that it's worthwhile to address actions that are offensive even when there's no ill will. I've long been thinking about the balance between etiquette and forcefulness in situations where it's necessary. But that's a question for another day when I can formulate it more coherently. (laughs) Regardless, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the above. Kind reply, Soraya. Soraya, I read your email and I, I totally get where you're coming from because I do think your name is really important and your identity is really important and it absolutely should be respected. And Dan and I both agree with that wholeheartedly. But we also know that family dynamics can often be incredibly challenging, and there are times where it might not be worth fighting for, and we like presenting that option, too. It's very clear the daughter-in-law in this situation has reached out, had made statements, and I think that there are other options for her to continue to go down. Um, But I think that it's going to require discussing, I would suggest, with her husband and as a family unit trying to figure out how we're going to get mother-in-law to change. Or if we can't get her to change, what are we going to do about it? And to me, there are just some people out there who would like to feel like it's okay to just let it go and just let the mother-in-law do what she's going to do and turn the other cheek and, you know, hold your head high and you've stated your preference, you've done what you can, walk away from the issue and continue on with life. And there are other people who are going to want to stand up and say, It's okay to send that letter back and request that it be addressed to the correct person, that it's okay to not respond when this woman is talking to you and not using your name correctly, that when this woman introduces you to someone else, this is actually the one I think you should do no matter what. If if your mother-in-law introduces you to someone else using your incorrect name, I would make that correction in the moment. And I would say that that is a mother-in-law broke the etiquette there and making the correct introduction is is more important than the seniority or the respect given to the senior person in this scenario. What do you think? I, I hear where you're going with this. I like those options for ways to respond more forcefully if the the discussion doesn't work to get you the, the results that you're looking for. Of course, the challenge is always not responding to rudeness with more rudeness. That's where I'm struggling with this one. And and I think there is a line there where you can ask for the respect that you deserve, where you can be honored making the choice to be addressed the way that you want to be addressed and let someone know in no uncertain and clear terms what that is. Mm -hmm. But still retain some self-respect by not responding to rudeness if they still don't treat you the way that you deserve and would like to be treated. 
one thing that you mentioned that I really liked was the idea of reengaging your husband. Mm-hmm. That if you're talking about escalating this discussion and it really matters to you that that you get this right, that yeah. this relationship is serious enough and important enough to you that you want to be sure you get it right and you do everything that you can yeah. to give her a chance to do that, that I think that your your husband is really going to be your ally in this situation and really getting him engaged fully is is the place where I would really look to escalate. And I think so, too, because I don't love the idea of correcting someone in the moment, even though I do think when it's an introduction, that's important. Mm-hmm. But I don't love the idea of saying, um, mother-in-law, if you don't start writing things to me, I'm just not going to talk to you or I'm not going to respond. These are like Dan said, these were good suggestions. They're not actually good suggestions. They're just options, but they're options that bring rudeness into it. They, they're options that bring in rudeness. And I don't love that. I don't mind the idea of setting a boundary and saying how you'll proceed, but I would almost think that you would want your husband to be really on board with all those things. That's why I like your comment of get the husband involved again. This is his mother. I would assume that if there was ever an issue between Pooja and your parents, Dan, that you would really want to be helping to facilitate that. Same vice versa. If it was you and Pooja's parents, Pooja would be right there in the middle of helping to facilitate. This is a family matter, and let's get the family working on it together. What I really like about this feedback is it indicates the seriousness of the question itself. It's that it really true. is really important how we address each other, and it's also important how we stand up for ourselves. And when we answered this question, I know you and I both had a very strong reaction to yeah. the rudeness. And in some ways, our, our answer elaborated on how you might respond to real rudeness with without rudeness and with real generosity in terms of acceptance of someone else and i like returning to self-respect and how that might play into this situation and how you might try to stand up for yourself a little more so i I really appreciated this piece of feedback i did too i did too so thank you soraya and thank you to everyone who sent us your thoughts and updates please keep them coming you can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about hospital visits. We're going to talk about visits and how to be the best visitor you can be to your friends and family who aren't well. So this postscript comes from page 537 of Emily Post's Etiquette, 19th edition. That's our new book that's just out, so it's our most recent version of this. Our first piece of advice should go without saying, but it's definitely worth mentioning. Do check the hospital's visiting procedures. Some ask you to limit your visit time. Others don't. Some hospitals have flexible visiting hours. Others have clearly defined ones. And... If the time is clearly defined, you know what's allowed and you want to observe it. If it's more flexible, you also want to think about the timing of your visit. You might have some latitude, but try to show some respect both to the person you're visiting and to hospital staff. And don't make someone ask you to leave. And remember that it's also the procedures. It's not just the hours. And so that's really important, too. You may need to bring a photo ID. You may need to not bring certain food items, things like that. So do check about the visiting in this particular part of the hospital. You also want to be sure you observe all of the procedures for your visit. So check in when you get there. Wear any badges that you're given. If you're not supposed to bring food, leave it behind. 
Another thing that you want to leave behind are any cold or contagions that you may have. It's really tough because we don't always know on the early set of a cold that we have one. But if you are feeling even the slightest bit sniffly, this isn't the time to be headed to the hospital. And definitely be sure you use those hand sanitizers and foams that are inside and outside rooms, wherever they are. Observe that procedure and be sure that you keep clean during your visit. Absolutely. Don't wear perfumes or cologne. Scents can smell stronger or even nauseating to someone who is ill. So you want to be extra careful about scents, colognes, perfumes. Well, and with that one, remember, too, that you may be visiting a room where your patient is with another person. And so even though your patient may love the smell of that perfume, maybe the other patient in the room doesn't. It's also important to not sit on the edge of the bed unless you are invited. While you may think that it shows personal concern or you just really want to be close to your loved one or your friend, it may cramp or even cause pain for the patient. So unless you're invited, remember that that bed space is really for the person occupying it. While respecting that space, do position yourself within easy range for the patient to see or hear you. Try to sit or stand within roughly three feet of the person. Speak clearly and loudly enough for them to hear you. And be aware of noises like TV or sounds from the hall or any machines in the room. If you need to be heard over those things, sometimes you've got to talk just a little bit more loudly than you would under normal circumstances or be sure that you're maintaining eye contact. And it's certainly okay to close that door if you want a little more privacy. Don't. Forget who's listening. If doctors or other health professionals are in the room, don't talk to them as if the patient weren't there or refer to her in the third person. You really want to make sure that you are aware of all the people in the room and that you are speaking about them as if they are present. I think it's that's one of those things that's really important is to not just start talking over either the staff or the patient. Try to keep your visit both cheerful and brief. Have some idea of about how long you're going to spend. Try to let people know ahead of time what the the parameters or the duration of your planned visit is. Sometimes managing that parting is as important as how you behave when you're there or when you arrive. Do be gracious and advocate for the patient as needed. You don't have to overdo it, but... If your patient would like some ice water or maybe is requesting a visit from the nurse, it's okay to relay her messages to the nursing staff. Just remember to be respectful and aware of the demands placed on that nursing staff and be sure to thank them afterward for their help. A final thought that we'd like to leave you with is the idea that when you're visiting friends or family in the hospital, sometimes it's really just your presence that matters most. The What you say or what you do is worth thinking about, but also making that effort just to be there for someone is sometimes the most important thing that you can do. Absolutely. Never an easy subject to think about, but we hope that these tips will help make hospital visits all the easier. Let us repeat. This is the safest way to regain your health and to return as quickly as possible to work, to fun, and to play. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms and from so many places. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm writing to you from London, England having just recently moved here a couple months ago after a decade of calling Brooklyn my home. 
one of my best friends in Brooklyn, she's in fact a best friend from childhood in Ohio, told me about Awesome Etiquette as one of her absolute favorite podcasts and highly encouraged me to listen to it as I was sorting out the etiquette conundrums of planning a wedding. Well, we certainly appreciate that reference. Yes, and we're glad you stuck with us. (laughs) Now, half a year later, the wedding has happened. It was a massive success. Good. I'm living in London, and I'm still listening to your podcast. It's fun, entertaining, informative, and always gives me new things to think about. The reason I'm writing is because I want to give a big old etiquette salute to my dear friend. Her name is Celeste, and not just a salute for turning me on to this podcast. I'd like to give her an etiquette salute because this year has been full of the weddings of some of our closest lifelong friends. Celeste is not one of the friends getting hitched, but she has been the most loyal, supportive, helpful friend anyone could ask for. She's gone above and beyond, doing the bride's hair at every occasion, officiating for one, and being the MC at mine. I know it can be hard when there's a deluge of weddings, hard on both the wallet and potentially emotionally, but I'm so grateful for her presence and smile at each one of our special days. Thanks, Lizzie and Dan, for creating a podcast that encourages me to take a moment to appreciate what a wonderful friend I'm blessed to have. Sincerely, newlywed in London. That is just lovely. And Celeste sounds like an awesome friend. Man, is that all you grown-ups ever think about? Yes, we do think about them, Mickey, because we've learned from experience that matters are important in helping people get along together. I get along all right. Do you, Mickey? I wonder... Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who's sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or by phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out and subscribe on either iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn... Google Play. What else is there? Is there more than that? There's a lot more than that, aren't there? Your favorite podcast app. And please leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank Thank you, you, Chris. Sure. This don't need manners. Manners are just for grown-ups. I think you're wrong about that. Someday you'll find it out. Oh, manners.